0: Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We thank the Lord this morning and appreciate you being here. We're going to finish this last lesson in living a blessed life. And today we'll talk about cheerful. Everybody say you've got to be cheerful. Cheerful. Cheerful generosity. Don't be, be wrinkling what you're giving. You let it go. Be cheerful. To continue living a blessed life, we should display cheerful generosity. There's a difference between smiling and gritting your teeth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you, sometimes people flashing their teeth, not smiling, they gritting. Oh, I want to get rid of that. Oh, there goes my vacation. Oh, no. No, it's not all about money. It shouldn't be. Never should be. But we do believe in. Uh, giving Our scripture this morning, while you're standing, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 through 19, as Paul's summing up some ideas about giving. Good advice. I, I take it as Timothy being a younger man. <clears throat> good advice for young people today. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, don't think you're all that just because you got a big bank account. Sometimes some of the richest people are some of the awfulest people. Nor trust in uncertain riches, because they can make wings and fly away. But trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute Willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves. This is the result of all that. A good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That falls right in line with some things that Jesus talked about, how that a rich person would hardly, it'd be so hard for him to enter into the kingdom. And you remember the story of the young ruler that he uh, Told him, he said, "You need to sell what you've got and distribute it." And see, this is something that uh, I I can only assume that Paul has gained this insight through the Spirit. Uh, he wasn't there. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus taught this parable or saw these things. And so maybe maybe he hears this story of this young guy, maybe talking with one of the one of those twelve one day. He's uh, they're telling him, Oh, you should have been there that day. This young kid walked up and saw what Jesus did. Man, he should have just and told him. I don't know how Paul, but Paul is basically saying exactly what Jesus said that day uh, that holding on to those things will hold you down. It's not wrong to have stuff, but when it comes all about your stuff, you're in a bad situation. So, to live a blessed life uh, and to continue living that blessed life, we should display cheerful generosity let's pray for the lesson lord thank you for your word for the most valuable instruction that it gives today to instill faith in us to walk upright before you and serve you in sincerity and truth today lord let our hearts receive it in good ground and let us be cheerful givers today lord of anything that we own and we ask you to bless us now in jesus name and everyone said amen give the lord another hand clap this morning as you're seated what a great God, what a great God, what a great God. One of the greatest displays of, of, of people uh, giving and investing in the in kingdom uh, came long before Jesus even walked the earth. When you read in 2 uh, Chronicles about the building of Solomon's temple, uh, that didn't just happen because of Solomon but it was the effort of an entire nation that uh, made this come to pass. And there's a little narrative describing maybe how people felt at that time as this was coming on. It says, The energy was tangible in the autumn air. The people knew that they were witnessing a historic event. Throngs of people assembled from throughout the region to the center of the holy city to witness the grand opening of a building that would eventually become one of the most famous structures ever built. The word that, or the word was that all the ancient religious artifacts, as well as many new ones, were being moved from storage into the sacred new structure. A wave of excitement swept through the crowd as the priests came into view. They marched reverently through the town. Those in front bore the staves of the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. The gold-plated wings of the cherubim, which sat atop the holy icon, sparkled in the sunlight as the priests wound their way amidst the hundreds of cattle and sheep that had been donated as sacrifices for this special occasion. Everyone knew that inside the ark were the two tablets of stone upon which God had carved the Ten Commandments. After putting the ark in the Holy of Holies, the priests purified themselves and joined in the continued celebration. Finally arrayed, Levites stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. 120 priests who were playing trumpets performed together in unison with singers to praise and give thanks to the Lord. The crowd raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. It soon became evident that God was pleased with His people who had given so generously to build Solomon's temple. As the people praised God, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. It was such a glorious occasion that the priests could not continue their service. God's people had risen to the occasion. They had given and God had responded. And never again would anything so beautiful and holy be built in Israel and never again would there be a demonstration of heavenly approval as extravagant as this. And When you read the account of Solomon's temple being built, it is quite amazing to look at all that was given to make that possible, and the number of years that it took to construct, just the way they built, uh, to go ahead and cut the stones before they ever delivered them, so that there would be no sound of a hammer or chisel working inside the temple. They just told them, "Here's the measurements," and they shipped the stones already cut. And it was like they were just putting a Lego building together. You know, they were just stacking it and putting it together, making it work. And it didn't happen because. Uh, just because of Solomon. Solomon himself did not have those riches. He was the king, sure, but those things hadn't come yet. God hadn't got with him in that prayer yet about since you haven't asked for all these other things, since you only asked for wisdom, then uh, I'm going to bless you with everything else. You know, it was all that stuff had not amassed to him yet. They were still building, it was a, a continual purpose. This was people giving, people from other lands giving, cutting down timber and shipping it to them. And and they were sending people out of Israel in shifts to go work and and harvest timber and do things. And, And the people were ready to do it and willing to do it because it was for the Lord. And they knew that it was more than them. It was something bigger than them. This was the God they served, and it was in appreciation. They weren't trying to buy approval from God. They were just simply giving from their heart what they could. Some were the given their talent of of molding. the. They didn't give the gold or the brass, or the thing, but they were the people who worked with it. They gave of their talent, and some gave of their energy and their time as they left their homes to go for months at a time to cut down trees and then ship them back uh, to Israel. So it was a, a lot of great things happening, and then... We know at the dedication of the temple, the glory of God was so thick that the priest could not minister in the temple because of his presence. And so uh, when people can learn that uh, you're not trying to bankrupt yourself and make yourself poor and God would never ask you to do so, but realizing that what we have from him, uh, we can give. Of our, We've talked about being good stewards of time, talent, all these other different things, not just money. Anybody that just always preaches that giving is only about money has missed so much. But humanity is just naturally uh, and artificially conditioned to get. Uh, People, you know, it's just in human nature to get what you need. But then we are artificially conditioned to it by advertisements and by, uh, you know, uh, corporations and they're always reaching for your products coming out and and there's nothing wrong with commercialism it has its benefit but the downside is that free commerce uh, greed and ambition often fuel it a lot of people are just greedy and they just want more and so uh, to sell their products they must appeal to people's wants and and their indulgences um uh, So if they can talk you into needing a better car. You know, you've got a car that runs fine, that's good, but man, that advertisement just, yeah, just, you know, just makes you look, man, I would look good in that leather seat right there. And man, I'm sitting on these cloth seats with a rip in it. And if I could just get that nice leather heated seats in the winter, you know, heated steering wheel, all these things. And if they can and that's fine, if you can do that, that's fine. I'm not against those kind of vehicles. What I'm saying is that they're going to accentuate all these things to make you feel like you need that. If they can talk you into needing a more expensive cup of coffee. Oh, I love coffee. And look what's, I, mean, I, make, good, I make good coffee at home, but look at Starbucks. Man, got all that foam and stuff going on, cinnamon on top of it. And cool name, they write your name on the cup. You know, they, they've talked me into it. I'm going, to, I'm going to stop in that drive-thru. I'm going to get that. I, you know what? There was a gift card at the counter. At Walmart, so I bought a gift card so I could go by and get, use a gift card to buy me some coffee. You know, just talk you into it. Just, they're going to get you just so you can get uh, anything that you want. Everywhere we turn, we are encouraged to think about getting. And When people embrace the paradigm of prosperity, then they start to determine their worth by how much they have accumulated. When all you think about is prosperity, prosperity, then uh, if you don't have so much, you feel like you're not worth very much, and your worth is not tied to what you have. It's tied to who you are to him and what you're doing for the kingdom. Uh, you could use this little story uh, to illustrate this mindset. There was a teenage daughter. She comes bouncing in the house after her first date and uh, just begins to breathlessly dis- describe her new boyfriend to her father, and he says, oh, well, sounds like a great kid, sweetheart. Does he have any money? And she rolls her eyes and sighs and says, like, you men are all alike. That's exactly what he asked about you. <laughs> you know, does he have any money? Does he have any money? Do they have any money? What, what are they worth? What side of the tracks they come from? You know, it it, it creeps into the church world or the independent or organization. I will just keep moving. According to Scripture, giving should be a primary goal of living. We were not meant to just be, uh, you know, an island unto ourselves and just keep to ourselves. uh, God created us in his image and God has always been a giving God. In fact, giving can be a very positive experience. A man by the name of Francis Bacon said that money is like manure. It's not good unless it's spread around. <laughs> when manure piles up, it's messy. It stinks anyway. It don't matter spread, but spread. And people avoid it or else get sold by it. Too much of it will kill the grass. But when it's spread out, it makes grass grow. The same can be said of talent, influence, leisure, and knowledge. All these resources, not just money, all these resources are designed to be spread to others so that everyone can benefit, and this is done by giving freely. And no one demonstrated that more, the the beauty and power of giving more than our Lord Jesus Christ. Just think when he fed the multitude, 5,000 people there, he He miraculously blesses this food, and now all of a sudden there's enough to feed. What if he had charged a dollar for every plate? That's a lot of money.
1: But he didn't charge
0: for the miracles. He didn't charge people when he taught his lessons. He didn't charge them to come here and preach. He didn't charge for the healings that he did or anything like that. He just did what he did because that's who he was. He gave to the people what he had of what he was, of who he was, what he was able to do. Jesus and his disciples used money, but they did not worry about money. The only one would maybe be Judas who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In Matthew 10 and 8, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. And I thought about that. And, uh, you know, free yourself from things before you try to give. Free yourself from stress and anxiety. Free yourself from jealousy. Free yourself from greed. Don't let these things... uh, What are you free from as you give? Because if you're giving freely, it's without any hindrance. So you need to make sure you're not giving grudgingly. That, oh, I can't believe I've got to give again. No, you don't. It would be better not to put that in the offering than to give it with a bad spirit. But the Lord said, freely you have received, freely give. Just And that's, uh, you know, time and talent. You know, somebody prayed for you, and they didn't charge you a dime. But are you praying for anybody else? Somebody, you know, uh, preached to you but didn't charge a mission for the service, you know, uh, you know, uh, who are you preaching to? Who are you reaching to? Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody, somebody called you and checked on you and didn't say, hey, by the way, that cost you a dollar. Nothing. But what are we doing? Are we freely giving back what we have been given? And the Bible says that I should know anybody anything but to love one another. Most of all, Jesus loved us. Are we repaying that love to others? I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about loving With the love of God, loving people and and having mercy on people and showing compassion on people, freely we have received this, freely give. He did that free of any other emotion. I just loved you not grudgingly. It wasn't like, oh, I can't believe I've got to love them sorry people. He just loved us because we were his creation. I created them in my image. Yeah, they have messed up more times Almost, if I wasn't God, I wouldn't even be able to remember. But since I'm God, I can remember all that, but I just won't remember it against them. I know that they're humanity. I know they're dust. I know they're emotional. I know they're, they have to get into trouble, but I just love them. I can't help it. I, that's who I am. God is love, and I cannot be. I cannot deny myself. He's going to abide faithful. He's going to be that God, so he's just going to keep loving people, keep on showing mercy, until time ends, this time I'm not talking about eternity, but but when this time's up, it, judgment. So right now I want all the free stuff. He loadeth me daily with benefits, but I don't I don't want to be a hoarder, and lock it away. I want to give it back out. In Matthew ten and eight, uh, not, I'm sorry, in Luke six and thirty-eight, uh, we quote this every week. The Lord said, "Give, and it shall be given unto you." good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall be given to your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with, it shall be measured to you again. And if you just tie that to money, man, you're missing out on so much. Man, when you give your energy, and when you give your love, and when you give of yourself to others, it's coming back. Somebody's going to be there to help you. When you help somebody, somebody will be there to help you. A lot of people say, oh, well, I I help everybody and nobody ever helps me. When I see people post things like that on Facebook, I just want to choke on the air. I'm just like, are you serious? Why? Listen, you don't do things to get a pat on the back. A lot of people breaking their arm. You ever heard that expression? They break their arm to pat themselves on the back. Listen, I ain't doing it for nobody else's proof. What I do, I do it because God wants me to do those things. He wants me to reach out. He wants me to love people. He wants me to show mercy. He wants me to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. He wants me to, to help others and to help people bear their burdens. That, that's stuff that I have been helped with over the years. Why would I not help somebody else? I don't want to always be a taker. I want to be a giver. I want to make sure that I am giving what God wants us to give. In uh, contrast to our Savior... Uh, when we think about him being so given, there's a story that the Lord told in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a very graphic story of of where people can end up. The rich man, it said, lifted up his eyes in hell. So having all the money you could have and the luxury you could have and the comforts you could have do not ensure that you're blessed by God. Doesn't even mean you are blessed by God. Uh, You know, he had the best, life on earth and still wound up in the wrong place. Yet Lazarus, who sat at the gate and begged and the dogs licked his sores, he died and ended up in the bosom of Abraham in paradise. He had the worst of conditions, but he had the best heart. The rich man had the best of conditions, but had the worst heart. He wouldn't give. He knew who Lazarus was. He said, hey, ask Lazarus to come down here and dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I know he sits outside my gate all the time. Did you ever feed him? Did you ever clothe him? Did you even send him the scraps that you threw away? Nothing. You just left Lazarus sitting out there till he died at your gate. You know, I don't want to watch people just die when I have the opportunity to help them. And listen, that's not going to expend me till I'm no good. That's only going to help me because when I give, it will be given back in abundance pressed down, shaken together, together and running over. So when we give, uh, it, it needs to, to be because we have freely received and be like the Lord. According to the Lord's teaching, generosity is not just a nice character trait. It's a core value of true believers. Anyone who is a stingy Christian is not really a Christian. You ain't got to like that. It's true. <laughs> Anybody who is a stingy Christian, not a Christian, there's a flaw there because it was a stingy bone in the Lord's body. And he did not design us to be that way. You want to talk about people, your know greed and selfishness will do? It'll get you killed. What about Ananias and Sapphira? In the book of Acts, people are, there's a great revival. The church is giving. People are piling up stuff. They're selling and distributing, so nobody's going without. And nobody set a price on what to give. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sell some land. Well, we got more for that than we thought. So, hey, let's not tell them that we got, let's just, I'm going to throw a number. This number's not in Scripture. I'm just going to throw a number to help us. Hey, we sold this property for $10,000. Let's just tell them we sold it for three, and keep the rest of it. We'll give the three. We got seven. We're doing good. And when they get there, Ananias, how much you sell it for? Got three thousand for it. Here you go. All the. Why are you going to lie to the Holy Ghost? Boom. Drop dead. No time to argue his case. No time to say, "Hey, let me fix this." Poop. Gone. Stingy. Greed will make you lie to the Lord. (laughs) Oh, I don't have no money to pay, Lord. You think I can't see your bank account? You think I don't know that you just, that money's burning a hole in your pocket that you can get to wherever you're fixing to go? But see what Peter told, and then here comes the woman, she shows up. Hey, tell us, what'd y'all sell? Oh yeah, we sold it for that. The same ones that carried your husband out there at the door waiting on you. And the thing was, is he told him, he said, while it was in your power, you could do what you want to. If you'd have said, hey, we sold it for ten, but we got some repairs to do and stuff like that, so we're going to give. You know, even if they had give a tenth of it, just tithed on it. it that's God, he never said, hey, give it all. But all oh, that greed, whew, and it killed them, cost them their life. Because God's serious about some things. You don't lie to Him. You don't rob him. You don't steal from him. And so you don't have to make up stories and act like you're worse off than you are because God knows how you are. You can't never say you're worse off than what you are because God knows exactly where you are. So giving should just be part of our life. I'm so thankful that you know, the Lord has blessed us with so much. It's not hard to give and give what you can to the Lord or to other people, or to help out somebody. Just be a giver. You'll always be a getter if you are a giver. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Let me tell you, God will take care of his people. Don't let money become your master. Don't let it stop you from having a cheerful Giving spirit, and you'll be blessed. You'll see, and and it is true. I heard people say it as I was growing up. I couldn't remember. when you're in your twenties, you are like, man, I got to get everything I can. Boy, just give me, give me, give me. When you're young, growing up. Your parents, grandparents tell you. It was just like, always. I don't know when you're a kid. I just figured my grandparents were, were well off, but they weren't. My grandparents were, but it's because. They never act like they needed nothing. So I just figured they must have all the money they need because never complaining about anything. Just my, gran- my granny Walden, she'd be out there sweeping that dirt yard, drink a glass of buttermilk with cornbread crumbled up in it, and act like she had it all. And I just figured she probably got a stash somewhere in this house, you know. She don't have nothing. You, you think about your grandparents. Yeah, you just learn how to how to appreciate what they had. It was always Did your granny ever deny you anything, man? No, they'd cook, they'd do whatever for you when you was out there. You could have whatever you wanted. Grandparents are like that. That's what they do. And you know, it's uh, so. It's not about all the stuff that you have. It's you know, it's appreciation for what you have, and then willing to just share what you have. And so uh, I, I want to be, that, be a, a giver because if you're a giver, you're always going to be a getter. It's always going to come back to you. You're going to have what you need. So uh, giving should be a priority. It doesn't have to be your only priority, but it should be a priority. You should not neglect giving because prayer, fasting, giving, three things that Jesus said we should be doing. But giving reveals our values. We talked about this earlier in our first lesson. And Jesus mentioned this uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, love the other, hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Then he ends the section of that sermon by saying, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now either Jesus is not telling the truth, or he is. Anybody want to challenge him? I don't. Either Jesus is telling the truth or he ain't. I believe he is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That makes you righteous because you're only righteous by his righteousness. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So all these things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. His point is that seeking God's kingdom given to others is a path To a blessed life. Now, when you set your ideas of a blessed life too high, that's when you start to doubt God. Because people, well, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm seeking, and I'm playing every number I can think of. And God ain't let me hit that 63 million yet. You know why? Because he knows it'll kill you. It'll destroy you and you probably won't be as good with it as you think you would be. Oh, it's easy to say before you got it, wouldn't nobody I know want for nothing until you got it. Oh, man, you know, it came quick. It might leave quick. I better hold on to it. Uh, Hey, you think everybody that's ever hit the lottery didn't say some of that stuff before they hit it and then lost everything? Let me tell you, I don't need $63 million. I don't need it. So you wouldn't take it. I didn't say that. <laughs> if somebody wrote a check to the church for 63000000 million, I tell you what, there'd be a lot of missionaries happy. Yeah. I say, I got more than one person helping govern that money. I don't, want, I don't want it written to me. Don't write that check to me. Write it to the church. Let's, let's give it out. Let's write it to the kingdom. Listen, you know what? But God don't need $63 million either because he can open a door without money. He don't have to tip nobody to get special seating. God can make a way where there is no way. So uh, we've we've got to give. Giving is a a law in the universe the same way gravity is a law of physical science. If you give, it's going to be given back because God said in his word, and his word's forever settled. Stingy people cannot be blessed. Stingy people end up without friends. Yeah. You sit down beside your friend at lunch and they won't give you some of that food off their plate. Now they ain't got nobody sitting with them no because they won't eat uh eat all their food. Give me hey, give me some of that. They bring a good lunch from home and you're eating school lunch. Man, give me some of that banana pudding. Mm Hey, you share it with your friends. Giving. God encourages us to give because it's how every ends up being, everyone ends up being blessed. And When Israel was having financial problems, God used the prophet Haggai to give uh, King Zerubbabel this advice. So let's, let's listen to what he said way back in the Old Testament, in Haggai chapter 1 in verses 2 through 11. I believe that's where I'm at. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe, but there is none warm. And he that has earned wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. So God's saying, you're going to take care of everything but the kingdom, and you'll always be struggling. And I've I've seen people, I've tried to give that advice to young people as they get jobs and they're doing things. I said, listen, you give, you be a giver to the house of the Lord. Not trying to take all your money, I want you to have fun. you got a job. I know you, you've got needs. I know all that. But when you work a job and, and, and you just spend it as soon as you get, spend it as soon as you get, it, and, and never, never give to anybody, never helping, not just giving to the house of the Lord, but not giving to anybody, just spend it up, spend it up, and then, and then say, well, I got this job, so now I'm going to get all these loans, get all these credit cards, and I'm going to go on all this stuff, and now you owe so much money, you'll never get out of debt. They say, so I can't pay my tithes. I got too many bills. You know what? Bills are not like ticks. You just don't, they don't just get on you when you walk outside. You know how you get them bills? You apply for them. Yeah, you sign up for them. You put your name on the paper for them. And that's how you end up with all that. And now this great financial blessing that God has given you is just going to waste because you feel like I got to give to everybody else that's got to hand out, and, and God will understand, so I'll give to Him last. That's, hey, that's the way a lot of people's attitude is. I'll take care of everything else, then if I got something left, I'll give it to the Lord. But isn't that the same as putting something before Him? Well, yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. Right. And so, as we are. Coming to a close in this, not this lesson yet, but uh, in this series, uh, there are four ways that Jesus told us to give, things that he said. First, he said we should give systematically. This kind of giving is done through regular tithing or offering and ministry to others. When we follow this teaching, it is God's way of setting us up to become generous and to be blessed. The practice of tithing predates the law Of Moses, Abraham modeled it when he gave one-tenth of his increase to Melchizedek, the prince of Salem, and high priest of God. Tithing was established in the law, and it was typified at Jericho, and this is how Jesus addressed it in Luke 11 and 42 when he told them, if you'll put that up for me, we'll read this. He said, Woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought you to have done. In other words, you should have done this, but don't leave the other undone. You should be paying those tithes and those things and and giving in those things and doing all that. I'm not telling you not to do that, but you can't do that and then overlook sharing the love of God and the kingdom of God and being a blessing. Uh, You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. Loving people is more important than that. Loving people and having mercy on people is more important than that, but it still ought to be done if you give and your tithe and your offering, you will be blessed back. The Lord said, "Try me and see. I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing. You won't be able to contain it." So I believe in that. The second way Jesus encouraged us to give is to give quietly. Don't come in. I'm about to put money in the basket. <laughs> Let me drop my thousand in here. So everybody said, "Woo, high roller. You're trying to look. Nah. He said, you give so that your left hand don't know what the right hand is doing. You, you give so that uh, you, he said it in Matthew C. He said, when you give secretly, God will reward you openly. And so now people say, well, so does that mean I don't need to fill that envelope out? Well, we have laws today, and if you don't fill that envelope out, that means i got to try to figure it out and fill it out. And uh, the accountant's like, I can't give anybody credit if they don't for their taxes if uh, the envelope's not filled out. So hey, quick little side note: when you fill out that envelope, fill it all out. <laughs> well, I'm gonna put the amount on there. I don't want nobody to see. Then put it in the basket upside down, because eventually somebody's gonna see it because they gotta pull it out of the basket and count it. Nobody's saying, "Ooh, look what they're doing and keeping a record of what you give." The accountant's got that. Nobody in this church is going to have any idea about that, okay? Just so you know. Uh, and uh, in the place where it says name, put your name. Yeah. Put a first and a last name, please. You know how much time I spend correcting envelopes? I'm just saying. Yeah, I, don't, I don't mind it, but I've been doing that for 12 years now. And if you can't make Restoration Apostolic Church fit on that line in the check, write R-A-C. <laughs> just a few little things. Just, now let me get back to the lesson. Uh, just so you know. So if your envelope's messed up, go get another one between services and fill it out right. So give quietly. The joy and fulfillment of secret giving is part of what makes believers' lives blessed. You don't have to tell everybody about what you're giving or when you're giving. I've had wonderful, precious people in this church that wanted to help somebody else, and they would say, Lord, lay this on my heart, give this so-and-so. And I wouldn't even count what they gave. It would be an envelope. I would just take it say, somebody said, give this to you. I don't know what it was, how much it was, but they just wanted it, and they said, I don't want nobody to know who to give it. And that's, the way, that's fine. That's the way you ought to, be, ought to do it. So the next way, thirdly, Jesus taught us we should give sacrificially. In Luke 21, he drew attention to a poor widow who gave her last two mites in the offering. He proceeded to give his life for us and bid us to take up our cross and follow him. This sacrificial giving is a voluntary act of worship. The difference in giving, whether it's out of requirement or giving willingly, is much like the difference between apologizing to a sibling because a parent demands it and apologizing voluntarily with sincerity. You had had to tell your brother or sister sorry because your mom or dad was standing with a belt. (laughs) Apologize. Sorry. You didn't mean that, but all they want is to make sure you said it. But if you're really sorry, you know, you you went to them anyway. Hey, man, sorry, I didn't mean to hit you now with that baseball. I didn't mean to shoot you with that BB gun. It was sorry. I am sorry. I, wouldn't want to, I wasn't trying to kill you. And you're really sorry. Well, this kind of sacrificial giving will bless everyone that it touches when you give from your heart and sincerity and and maybe it is tough. You're like, okay. Sometimes God will move on you to do that. And we've had people here testify about it. Now, hey, I had twenty dollars left. That was it for the week. But God said, man, give that in the offering, and I did before I got out the door. Somebody handed me sixty dollars. So, hey, this fellow giving you this, boom, just like that. God will give because it says it in His Word. Like I say, either Jesus was lying or He ain't. Right. Now, finally, Jesus told a story that demonstrated how to give with compassion or compassionately. The the victim in this story was just an innocent traveler who was ambushed by thieves. He was lying helpless by the side of the road. You know the story of the the good Samaritan. Here comes all these people, Levites and priests, walking right by him. Said, oh, man, it's bad, but I can't help you. Why? You're so busy, you can't stop and help. And here comes a Samaritan that nobody really liked, but there he was, gave of his own money, gave of his own supplies to help bind up this guy's wounds, fix him, get him better, and said, and if he... uh, If he runs a tab while while I'm gone, I'll pay it when I come back through. I'll take care of it. Why? Because he saw someone suffering, saw someone in need. Millions of people all around us are lying by the side of the road in spiritual ditches. The enemy and his thugs have robbed them of true religion. They are helpless. They are bleeding. They feel hopeless. And we have the joy to be able to minister to them with love, mercy, compassion, money if we need to, time, and prayer that God has given to us. When we give generously, their lives are changed, and then our lives are blessed. Paul, again, said it like this. When we look back at our focus scripture, charge them that are rich in this world. Now that we've gone through all these lessons, we think about it. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He said, man, a foundation is something that you stand on. He said, your foundation is going to be what did you do with what I gave you? the parable of the men with talents. The only leg they had to stand on, the only foundation they had to stand on is what did you do with what I gave you before I left? And then when uh, they got back, (laughs) when he got back, hey, I want to know what's going on. Well, I got five more talents. I got two more talents. Oh, I buried mine. didn't turn out so well for the one that buried it. So we want to make sure that we're not burying that we are realizing that freely we have received and freely we ought to give. And so from these statements that Paul made, we can understand several key things that we have already discussed. Paul believed that riches encouraged illicit feelings of pride in people. He knew riches were uncertain. His view was that God gives us blessings to enjoy and share. In his mind, sowing our resources back into the kingdom was the best way to invest our blessings. Uh, Again, time, talent, all these things as well. In other words, to hoard our blessing is to spoil them, but to share them is to multiply them, give them eternal value. If you will be a good steward of what God has given you, then you will maximize the life and resources that the master has entrusted you with. And you can come to the music, honey. I'm going to tell a little story about happy and grumpy as we get ready. to. And don't be looking around. I'm not talking about nobody in here. Two men sat at the local diner sipping coffee. Happy was going on and on about his son, who was an architect, his daughter, who was a stay-at-home mom. He was reminiscing about how he worked so hard to put his son through college and about how he just fixed his daughter's garage door opener. His life seemed so full and meaningful. He talked about how, how blessed he was to have grandkids, and he watched them every other Saturday. He used to watch them with his wife, but she had passed away. He misses her, but felt so blessed to have his grandchildren. Now Grumpy's demeanor was dark. He snapped at the waitress, grumbled at the cost of coffee, at the cost of coffee. He complained about his son, who was so expensive to raise. In fact, both of his kids were such a drain on his finances, he had just spent a whole day doing repairs at his daughter's house. He griped about the upcoming Saturday that would be a complete waste because he would be stuck at his daughter's home watching a mess of kids while she and her husband went out to have a good time. It was so much easier when his wife was alive, but now it was just him saddled with a bunch of high-energy kids who drove him crazy. The two men in the story are really one man with two possible responses to life. In the first case, Happy, he's a giver. In the second case, Grumpy, he's a loser. I hate to say it, but some folks are losers. The only difference is how he chooses to hold things, either selfishly or selflessly. Selflessly. Acts 20 and 35 says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. What if we measured the quality of our lives by how much we have given rather than by how much we have kept? When we are old, if we have little because we have given much, we will probably still be happy. But if we have much because we have given little, we will probably be miserable and feel like we have just been used. Truth be told, in life, everyone will either give or lose. There's no way to live without expending energy or sharing resources with others. If every time we do something that benefits someone else, we view it as something that cost us, we will feel like life or people are taking from us. But if instead we view everything we do for or give to others as investing in others, we feel like we are helping someone. If we give resentfully, we will feel miserable and used. If we give willingly, we feel happy and generous. And how we feel about ourselves and our world could be transformed simply by recognizing that life costs everyone. Everyone who does a kind deed or says a kind word loses something. But if we choose to treat it as giving, it suddenly has a completely different feel. Being a happy giver requires an intentional perspective. Developing that perspective might look something like this: the next time you leave a tip, and boy, I tell you, don't ever get me on people not leaving tips. Uh, leave a tip. Think about how you blessed a struggling waiter or waitress. Don't look at it as like, oh, if I don't give, they're gonna look at me funny or spit in my food. If that's that's not why you you. That's what they're working for. They're there working. If they provided that service, hey, well, service wasn't so great today. Well, you know what? Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they just lost a loved one. Maybe they just got told, this is your last week working here. You never know what somebody's going through. And right, it, you know, they should try to control that and not treat you bad. But you just don't know what people are going through. So always do good. Do what you're supposed to do. If the service was terrible, if they got your order wrong twice, still leave the right tip because that's what you do. It'll come back. Next time you hold the door for somebody or say, how are you doing today or, or you look nice today, think about how you just brighten somebody's day. Not that, oh, I've got to be nice because people think I'm a Christian. If I don't say, hey, how are you doing, they'll think I'm backslid. Wrong attitude. Remember, you're investing in somebody. Uh, The next time you have to uh, babysit relatives, think about how you are providing a safe place for these kids to flourish. You got a chance to invest in them. The next time you go to work, oh, I hate my job. Does it pay the bills? Is it taking care of your family? Think about it. I'm making a better life for my family. You know, and... And yeah, you want a better job, then look for a better job. But if, if you've got one right now, so many people don't have one. Treat it with the right perspective so that you can be a cheerful giver. Stand with me this morning. Life demands that we all give or that we all lose. Choose to be happy and blessed. Think like a giver. The world will seem like a better place and everybody around you will benefit. Let's pray this morning. Lord, Lord. If you see a selfish bone in my body, forgive me. I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to have godly priorities. I thank you for this word that you've given. It teaches us how to give sacrificially or to give not grudgingly but cheerfully. Thank you for showing compassion on me. Lord, let me freely give back the things that have been freely given to me so I can be better in this life. That I can shine a good light so people will glorify you. Lord, we praise you for it today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I appreciate our church. And I want to tell you that, you know, most preacher, just about any preacher, hates preaching about giving. I don't know why, because the Lord talked about it more than anything, but I guess it's because we realize the way the world looks at churches and they think they're just money hungry people. But I'm thankful for a church that is giving. We've helped so many evangelists and missionaries and things, and we've always been able to pay our bills here. And, and uh, yeah, we don't have a million dollars in the bank. But see, all this giving that in that little time spent in that little bitty building, all that giving we did, all that helping we give, God opened up a door for us to purchase a piece of property that appraised for $1.3 million, and we bought it for $550,000. And then only had to finance $440,000. Hey, God knows what he's doing. God will take care of his people. And we've been able to do what we do here. So I'm thankful for what we've got. God's going to keep blessing. So let's keep being cheerful givers of our time, resources, whatever it is. It'll always come back to you. God bless you. Let's find a place to pray before the next service. Let's see God do some great things. God bless you.